So Tara Sophia Moore is an expert on women's leadership and well-being. She's the author of Playing Big, Find Your Voice, Your Mission, Your Message, published by Penguin in October of 2014. She's the creator of the acclaimed Playing Big Leadership Program for Women, which now has more than 1,000 graduates from around the world. She lives in San Francisco and loves dance, art, and long walks with her beloved husband, son, and golden retriever. Tara Moore, welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Oh, thanks so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Yes, we are so excited to have you. And from what I understand, uh, Playing Big is in paperback now, right, Tara? Yeah, it just came out in paperback, which I'm so excited about because it's easier for people to hold in their hands and move around life with. And it has a beautiful new cover that's different from the hardback. And then as an author, the paperback launch is really fun in a different way because there's not that time crunch rush of the book is first out. So you kind of can do things in a more mellow, extended way and talk to more niche groups about uh, the book. So I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's great. And this is the second time we've had uh, you on. Um, I'm sure the first time was right after uh, your book was released. And at the time you were a new mom and now you have a son who's how old? Yeah, he's going to be two in February. Um, In fact, I was kind of chuckling when you read in the bio, he loves walks with her son, because when I wrote that, that meant him in the carrier, you know, on my chest. Right. (laughs) When I wrote that in my bio. And now a walk with him looks like, like my blood pressure is at like (laughs) 250 because I'm watching the driveways and the street and what kind of dog is approaching. And he's like careening all over the place. Um, I think honestly, one of the hardest things about living in San Francisco is uh, trying to take a walk with a toddler on the hills. Oh my gosh, for sure. (laughs) It is. It's like a totally, you know, San Francisco or anywhere else for that matter, walking with a young child like that can be one of the least uh, relaxing experiences of life. Totally. I'm just like, we cannot get to the park soon enough. (laughs) And then get home. And it's like, right. oh my gosh, I'm done. I did Why it. Why do we even try to go out? It's just not worth it. I contend that the only other anxious or more anxious um, moment in a parent's life is trying to get kids through airport security. And with strollers uh, and everything uh, else, it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still in the honeymoon part with that because they still let us carry him through. So. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, and and we've kind of got our system down because my husband and I we we both travel for work, so as much as we can, we travel all as a family. Um, and so, you know, we, we've, we have to have a, a, a plan with the airport security, which we do. Um, and that and we're actually it's actually become really fun because now. With our son being almost two, he loves airplanes and he loves airports and he's kind of in a giddy mood through the whole thing, which has been really, really a welcome change from, you know, traveling with the baby stage. Oh, yeah. It's like an adventure for him. Like instead of, you know, having to worry about are they asleep, are they awake, you, he can actually engage in his surroundings. Exactly. Exactly. So, so but I, I still feel like a new mom because you're always new at the phase you're in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's always something new. 
Yeah. So for our listeners, we interviewed Tara, uh, Tara um, and if you want to go to that original podcast, and we sp- probably spoke in more general terms of what the book was about, but it's at zenparentingradio.com slash more, M-O-H-R. And we picked a few things from the book that we really liked, and we wanted to get into a little more depth with it. So that's what we're doing here. So, um, Kathy? Yeah, so so I had so much fun. Again, like you said, I still am looking at my hardback book. I don't have the paperback version just because my hardback has all my nice writing in it and all my you know folded pages. Um, but I had a really good time going through the book again just to kind of pull out the things that I thought our listeners would really enjoy or maybe the things I enjoy and I wanted to hear you talk about again. But the two chapters that I was super excited about were chapter eight and chapter nine. Um, chapter eight is about communicating with power and chapter nine is about callings. And I'm actually going to, you know, I should have done this the other way because I wanted to start with callings. Um, I don't know about you, Tara, but I'm assuming you hear a lot of uh, people saying to you, and I know you work primarily with women, um, that they wonder what their passion is or what they wonder what their calling is or they want to do something meaningful in the world, but they don't know what it is. And you dedicate an entire chapter of your book to this idea. So, um, you know, to you, and again, I know you have eight ways listed specifically in this chapter, but what defines a calling for people? Yeah. How do you define it? Yeah. Well, my shorthand definition for a calling is it's the individual, the assignment that we receive as, as individuals to bring light and love into the world in a particular way. So when people say to me, I don't know my purpose, you know, I don't know my calling, I am always happy to uh, somewhat cheekily say, okay, great, I already know what your purpose is, so we can solve that in the next two minutes. Because I believe we all have the same purpose, which is to bring light and love into the world. That's the foundation. And I think even when we don't have any idea what our specific callings are, it can be life-changing to wake up and instead of saying, I don't know my purpose, say, I know my purpose. My purpose is to bring light and love into the world. And now I'm going to go through my day with that lens. And trust me, once we have that lens, life uh, shows us lots of opportunities they may be very mundane and small, or they may be get really interesting really fast of how we can bring light and love into the world. So that to me is the foundation. And then on top of that, there's this uh, more specific layer of your callings. What for you as an individual are some of the specific ways that you feel called or even assigned? Because there is sometimes this mysterious sense of having been given an assignment that we get with our callings, like, I know I'm just supposed to do this, or I'm somehow connected to this pain or need or deficit in the world. Uh, And and so the callings are the longings, the pains um, around some specific things. And uh, something that's really helped me and I think really helped the the women I work with, um, one is to define callings really broadly. So a calling isn't just the thing you want to do for the next 20 years, but you could feel a sense of calling to help a particular person in your community who's going through a tough time over the next few months. Or you could feel a calling around what you want to do with your philanthropic dollars. Or you could feel a calling to a particular project. Uh, And also that we get many callings over a lifetime. So the question really isn't, what's my calling? It's much more, 
um, what's calling me right now and becoming more respectful of that because we're really generally not very respectful of our own callings. We argue against them. We rationalize them away. Um, we don't really welcome them and listen to them. Tara, do you think that some of the resistance of it is that people try to make too big of a deal when you talk about your calling as if, you know, to your point, it doesn't necessarily have to be a lifelong thing. And sometimes we make things so grand that it makes it almost intimidating to even start. And I think what you're saying is it's easier to get started if you kind of break it down into smaller chunks. Definitely. So we can scare the heck out of ourselves by making it more complicated than it is. Um, and interestingly, sometimes I think what happens is that we're, because we're scared about going for our calling, like we're, maybe we're scared because it feels like we might fail at it, or we're scared because we know no one in our family is going to really know what we're talking about, or we don't think they are, or they're not going to approve. Um, or it, it feels like there's no way we have the chops to do the thing that we feel called to do. All of those are really common feelings. And so we do usually resist our callings and we're scared of them. And then sometimes what we do in order to give ourselves an excuse to not go for them is we make it much bigger and com more complicated than it needs to be. Um, I'll try and think of a, a good example of that. Um, so for example, if someone is feeling... Um, a calling to um, to paint, to make art. Maybe they loved visual art when they were a kid and then, you know, they got talked out of it because a teacher told them that their art didn't measure up and they know they're feeling that longing and they, they feel a pang when they walk by the art supply store and they get, feel jealous of people who are showing in the art gallery and they think about it from time to time, but they also feel really scared. They feel scared they're going to be horrible at it, that they are horrible at it. They feel scared to maybe say to their spouse, like, hey, I would really love for us to clean out the garage so there's a place for me to do this. Maybe that feels vulnerable. Um, so they have a lot of fears. And so then as a way to uh, give themselves a good excuse for not moving forward, they start to make the calling really complex. Like, well, in my biggest dream, what I would really want is to have a business where I'm selling my art and it's on all different kinds of, you know, household accessories. So now I need to start taking um, business courses at the local community college. And okay, so I can't do that till next summer. So they create a whole intricate story instead of what life is always offering us is a simple way to do our callings right now, which could be for that person. Don't even wait on the garage being cleaned out you know, get a small set of watercolors, get your paper and go sit on a park bench and do it for 45 minutes today. There's always that kind of available way to pursue our callings. That's right. And you know what I have found when something is, you know, for using this word calling to me, sometimes you start something if you're willing to kind of jump in and it evolves. It's really not something that you can, that the mind can, you know, you can't wrap your mind around the full calling sometimes because it goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And so if you just jump in with the watercolors as a metaphor, whatever, then eventually it just keeps leading somewhere. And as I think I was just reading in your book, it really is just about the experience of the journey. It's not, okay, once I get here, then I'm worthy and I'm valuable. It's the whole process of just doing what you enjoy. Absolutely. And that, that was a big surprise to me, um, how dramatically I have seen in my clients that even if the initial vision that comes to them for how that what they want to do or what they want to create in the world is maybe something that's going to take years to pursue. 
and to create, you know, we would think that they would sort of, yeah, have some feeling good feelings when they're getting started on it and maybe more good feelings when they get really into it and then feel really great when that dream comes true to fruition. But that's not what I've seen. What I've seen is that the joy actually gets to that highest point as soon as they begin doing that thing that they feel called to do. The end result outcome doesn't need to be there. And a lot of times that part will even feel anticlimactic and quickly they'll be on to the next, the sort of next beginning path of a journey. Because as you're saying, it it is the process and it is doing the work. Um, And something that I now do in my courses with people um, with, with callings, I call the 2000 year test. Um, and it's, it's really fun, which is whatever you think your calling is, you imagine, well, what's the form of this calling that could have existed 2000 years ago? And so, for example, if you're feeling like, I actually feel like I have a calling to web design, it's like, well, what's the, what, what's the form of that, that would have existed 2000 years ago, that the piece of it that I want, would it have been, um, uh, making etchings in rock? Is this really about design for me? Would it have been um, helping our ancient civilization organize information? Is that the part that appeals to me? Um, But to get, you know, to distill um, what's a form of that that could have existed 2000 years ago. And that can really help people get to the essence of it. And then to think about now, how do I live that essence today? Yeah. That's wonderful. And you know, that's the thing is like, I think a lot of times we are pushed into work either by other people or just by the voices in our own head. Um, And we don't even really think about why we're doing it or if we enjoy it. We just still have these old messages about do things because you'll make money or because it's wise or it's smart or it's the best thing or it's because what I did for a living or you need to take over the family business. And just your that example, you know, going back 2000 years, what did they do? And, you know, how does that relate to what I'm doing now? It kind of gets down to the core of what do I really enjoy. And I I find that, you know, I've been doing this long enough and enjoying my work long enough that sometimes I forget the way I used to think, which was I just need to do something to make money. And, you know, you're really with your work, completely changing the way people look at even though not all callings are career oriented, but you're really changing the way people live their lives and how they perceive how they utilize their days. I mean, are you still finding that a lot of people go into work just for you know, because they think they'll then be taken care of financially and that these kind of experiences and exercises are like really mind blowing to them. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're in a societal evolution and some of that has to do with the level of prosperity in our society and sort of the, you know, the conclusion of the industrial revolution where there's just, there's a different level of, um, of stability around basic survival so that many of us have the opportunity to ask, okay, now what do I want to do with my time and energy and resources um, that are within me? Um, But it's interesting because for so many people still, you know, there's a lot of messages that they were handed down about um, possible financial insecurity and and ruin or things they experienced in childhood that may make fear of that a very 
strong driver that's almost uh, a slave master to them, that they don't want that, but the fear is their master. Um, and, and so people are in that transition. And then the other part that's so interesting to me is I think that women entering the workforce has actually really moved this conversation into the forefront because women don't carry the, one of the tough burdens that men have gotten, which is within our cultural stereotypes that their, their status and their masculinity is somehow associated with their earning power and that the point of work is to provide as best as you can financially. You know, that, that is sort of the, the really dark side of the, how men were socialized in, uh, in a culture with, with unhealthy gender stereotypes and roles. And so with women coming into the workforce, for many women, they had the opportunity to ask, well, why might I work even if, uh, without finance being the, the sole, sole reason. And so that's kind of changed the whole career conversation now for everyone, which I think is so great for men too, because of course our world is going to get much, much better and healthier if men are able to find their callings and pursue them and be in, in, uh, our, our society, not evaluated solely by their earning power. I so agree. And just Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the interview in just a sec. But first, I want to tell you about our amazing partners. Jay Smith is a friend of ours and president of McGill First Aid Kit. Jay put together the ultimate family first aid kit containing everything his family and yours might need. Items for burn relief, bandages for all kinds of cuts, top-of-the-line tweezers, eye wash, cold compresses, you name it. It even has a car sickness bag for those tough road trips. So here's the deal. Go to mcgillfirstaidkit.com to buy your $70 kit for just $65, and that includes free shipping. Just make sure you enter the code ZENCODE. Hunter Clark Fields is a mindfulness mama mentor. She coaches smart, accomplished, overstressed moms on how to create mindfulness in their daily lives. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in yoga and mindfulness practices and has taught thousands worldwide. She does one-on-one coaching, and she also has the Present Mama community. It's a subscription service where you get access to an ever-growing library of high-quality yoga practices, guided meditations, and mindful parenting lessons. It includes a community forum and a live group coaching call. Check out presentmamacommunity.com. Now, back to the interview. I so agree. And just that shift, you know, the first thing that you said when we just started talking about callings was the whole idea of that my calling is to put love and light in the world. Um, Just that idea for men and women um, just changes the way not only you look at maybe the career you're doing right now or, or the career that you hope to be doing later, but just how you experience people in the world, how you go through, you know, your days so differently when you realize that's the true underlying calling for both genders. And, yes. you know, it's I, I just I'm going to write that down and put that by my bed. So I look at that every morning. Um, and since you started talking about, you know, women in the workplace and how that's shifted everything, um, now I'm going to, you know, jump back to to chapter eight about communicating with power, because that chapter is really about how women communicate and how we are becoming more self-aware about the language we use and how, even though I think we use certain language to be, to connect and we use certain language to make sure that people, you know, that 
we understand other people. Like we, we want to be the warm fuzzy, like the person who connects everybody and brings everybody together. But that sometimes that's to our detriment because we're not heard um, in the way that maybe our male counterparts are heard. And so can you talk a little bit about communicating with power and what we sometimes do as women that keep us from being heard? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the way you led into that, Kathy, because you're really speaking to the nuance of it. There's there's a positive reason uh, behind m- many of these speech habits that women have evolved, um, but we can overuse them or they can become the default in ways that then don't serve us. Um, so it's, it's well documented that uh, women use a lot more of these pieces of speech or words, it can happen in our writing as well, that are called hedges in linguistic terms. Um, I like to think of them as shrinkers because they really shrink the power of what we have to say. And there are things like inserting lots of just, I just have, an, I just have a question, uh, I just wanted to add, I'm just checking to see, or actually... Uh, I actually disagree there, which makes it sound a little surprising that you disagree uh, or just makes it sound apologetic. We tend to say more things like, well, I'm not an expert in this, but, or you all have been thinking about this a lot longer than I have, uh, but it seems to me that kind of thing. Um, Another one that I think is really fascinating that women use so heavily is, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. So we'll say something, especially if we're saying something lengthy or uh, intricate, and then say, did that make sense? As if we're really ambivalent, not sure, am I at all coherent here? Maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm probably not kind of thing. So there are those and there are a number of others that I talk about in the book. And what's so fascinating about them is uh, they do the research shows they do undermine how confidently we come across and how authoritatively we come across. Sometimes people say, but men use a lot of those things too. They do, and the research on this shows that it is interpreted differently when it comes from a man than from a woman because it doesn't align with that stereotype of someone who's unsure or not smart or so on. And so it's read differently in women, and we tend to use them more. Um, And we do it, as you're saying, in part because we want to make sure we're being very polite and nice and connecting. Um, Sometimes we do it only out of habit. It's totally unconscious. And sometimes we do it because it really is reflecting our inner critic. We are feeling like, I don't know if that made sense, or I really do feel nervous making this point because I feel like I'm really not an expert. Uh, but for any of those reasons, we want to become conscious of it. And well, and that's what I really advocate for. So you're noticing it more and then you're choosing. Is this a situation where I really want to apologize before I make this point? Or is that unhelpful to me? Well, and I'll say to, because uh, the, there's a lot of guys that listen to this podcast. One is Kathy, my wife, says, does that make sense all the time? A lot. And um, my one bit of advice for the guys is not to bring up what Tara is saying right now. When your wife says, does that make sense? You don't say, well, that's a bridge word or whatever it is. <laughs> you, your, your answer is I yes. Thrown at playing big book thrown at your head. Yes, yeah. that's right. Your answer is yes. That does make sense. But um, it, it made me uh, think of. Did you ever? Was that like a Dove commercial? Sorry, I'm not sorry. Commercial. Yes, that was powerful. I don't know yeah. if you've ever seen. Have you seen that one? 
Yeah, yeah, that came out. Uh, yeah, last year we'll put years. that in That's the show notes. Favorite. But that uh, we we showed that at our um, BU Girls Club that we used to do, and it it speaks specifically to what you're talking about. Uh, essentially, the commercial gives different scenarios of a woman either at home or in the workplace or whatever, and she says it a certain way using the word sorry, and then the second half of the commercial, it says the exact same thing, removing that sorry and that intention of is this right or not, and it completely feels so different. So we'll put that commercial in the show notes, but I just thought that that's one of my favorite commercials out there. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was so effective, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you'll put that in. Yeah, it actually made me cry the first time I saw it because mm. I thought it was so powerful. And I will say, and um, you know, kind of speaking to what Tara does with women, you know, having this self awareness about why we do these things, and I know why I say, "Does that make sense?" And I do it on the podcast a lot, and I've been becoming a lot more aware of when I say it and, and pointing it out. The reason I say it, it's because it's usually after kind of a long soliloquy that I give, you know, like a long, like, here's how I feel about this. This is, this is what I think. And then when I'm done, I feel vulnerable because I just did this whole thing. So I'll look at Todd and I do this thing with my face and I'll go, does that make sense? As if I need the validation that what I just said was meaningful. And that just understanding for me, and again, this may not be why everybody else says it, but now that I understand that, it's easier for me to kind of sit in that vulnerability of, Kathy, you just said something you believe, now sit. You know, Mm. just let that sit instead of trying to get that Validation. Well, and Kathy's trying to make sure that I am okay with whatever it is that she just said. And or following. And instead of switching that discomfort over to, um, you know, doing that for my benefit, allow me to sit in that discomfort and react to it in any way I choose. Like, you know, you say what you say and then period. Right. And then mm-hmm. allow for that uncomfortable silence, right. you know. And that's a practice, right, Tara? I mean, that's we really we have to first be aware of what we're saying because a lot of times we think we're saying it to help others or to make ourselves come across better. But then we have to be aware of why we're saying it and maybe make these subtle shifts. Yeah, and I I think exactly. So often when we say, "Does that make sense?" it is it is in some sense, as you're saying, Kathy, a bid for connection. I'm using John Gottman's words there, the therapist. We're, we're looking for a way to go back to the listener or listeners and connect with them to, to feel heard in what we said. And the problem is that that particular way of doing it, especially in professional settings, uh, it doesn't only go back to the listener. It also says, I'm not sure if I was coherent here, which you can imagine, it is, especially in more traditional professional settings, that's, that really doesn't make the speaker come across in the best light. So I always suggest to women it, to still honor that desire to connect to the listener if you want to say after that long thing that you just said, you could say, what are your thoughts? Or what does that bring up for you? Mm, or can't wait to good. hear your, t- your take on that so that you're still honoring that part of you and honoring them in that way, but without undermining yourself. So what we've done in the last half hour is basically skim the surface of only two of these amazing chapters from Tara's book. So um, I just wanted to kind of give people an idea of how much good content is in this book. So, uh, but Tara, is there anything aside from what we've already talked about that you want to make sure that you uh, say and please include, you know, how to find the book and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Well, one thing that just 
there I just did adjust. But one thing that comes to mind is <laughs> I haven't got to tell you guys, there are a couple schools now that are using playing big in the school and adapting it into curriculum. And I know we talked last time a bit about how valuable some of these concepts can be for parents of boys and girls, but particularly because there's so much on the inner critic and how to help yourself and others deal with self-doubt. So it's been fun to see it getting in the schools and uh, for parents listening who are wanting to help your kids play big in an authentic way. Um, there's, there's a lot um, that speaks to that. Oh, great. That I'm so glad to hear that. And I just want you to know, as I said last time you were on, and, and Tara and I were just talking before we started uh, taping, that I got to see Tara in October at um, a conference that we both attend, and it's always good to see her. Um, but I just want you to know what a wonderful teacher you've been for me, because yeah. as as self-aware as I, you know, as I like to be, and that's kind of been my the, my calling is that path of just following self-awareness and helping others, but it's that, okay, if, you know, our, these are kind of the examples of things we do to dim ourselves down. And here are things we can do to, to shine, but still stay connected and still stay, you know, true to the big, big picture of helping others. And as you said, you know, shining our light in the world and allowing others to shine simultaneously. So yours was one of the first books that kind of encapsulated all that for me. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I always really enjoy talking with you both and appreciate so much the light that you're bringing into the world and and look forward to our next conversation. Awesome. The name of the book is Playing Big by Tara Moore. Uh, Find your voice, your mission, your message. I'm sure you can get on Amazon or your website. Tara, what's your website? Yeah, Tara Moore, T-A-R-A-M-O-H-R.com. All right. We will catch you next time, Tara. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Thanks Thanks, Thanks for everyone. That's our show, friends. We hope you felt outstanding. And if you want to continue feeling this outstanding, go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, feel free to give us a kind review. You can email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com or you can record a voicemail by clicking on the send us a voice message link on our homepage with comments or questions. Don't forget our Zen Parenting Conference is on March 11th and 12th. 2016. For more details, go to zengetsreal.com. If you're interested in any of Kathy's three award-winning books, you can purchase through our website or through Amazon. We also do local presentations, virtual retreats, and movie screenings, which can be found by clicking on the events tab on our webpage. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you're interested in the tribe, the monthly men's group that I co-facilitate, you can go to thetribemensgroup.com for more details. Lastly, and most importantly, a special thanks to our three partners, Avid Company, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, and John J. Kelly Dentistry. If you own a business and are interested in partnering with us, please send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Finally, we're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time.